Listening to Between You and Me, it is a podcast of news and information and conversation from the morning show and from our digital news presence at KAXE.org. I'm Heidi Holton, I'm Director of Content and Public Affairs, and there's Chelsea Perkins, our news director. Hi, Heidi. So we've got a history mystery we're about to present here. It's from the Brainerd Lakes area. Very, very interesting story um, of how why sources matter, <laughs> why naming new things in towns matter, and kind of having these open conversations about the difficulties, the faults of the past, the how that relates to now. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to me. Yeah, it was a story that I started following just personally because it interested me. This newest park in the city of Brainerd, you know, it's been a long time coming. I have watched this Riverside Park come to fruition over the course of basically the last decade, if not longer. You know, that's when I started paying attention, but there was no place in Brainerd where you could go and like sit and enjoy the river, really. In like a park setting. Mm -hmm. And it seems, I remember thinking to myself, boy, it seems odd that the Mississippi River runs through our town and yet no one here really feels a connection to it. You just kind of drive over it and that's about it, you know? So this park, this development of this park has been something that we've seen happen over time and now it's here and we have this beautiful amphitheater down by the river, the opportunity for live music outside and it's exciting. It's it's a very nice little spot and it used to be a parking lot. So pave paradise and put up a parking lot, but this time we did it backwards. Yeah, which is great to hear. Um Speaking of parking lots, kind of, you know, the number one, I was, this is just a a fly on the wall thing listening to when I was at a First Friday event the last, last month, hearing some older gentlemen talking about, you've seen the central school in the center of Grand Rapids, talking about how nothing goes on there and it just, we just need more parking downtown. And it just wasn't the right time for me to butt in and be like, I've never gone somewhere and got, thought, wow, that town's got great parking. (laughs) <laughs> that's you, what I remember about it, right. you know? Oh, man, that's a whole nother can of worms in Brainerd. I mean, the downtown parking is like a perennial thing. But yeah. in this case, they removed a parking that's lot great. that really wasn't being used a whole lot, honestly. It was sort of an eyesore right by down by the uh, football field, by the high school. And now it's now it's a nice little park. What the mystery and and the history and all of that that came into play here was about the name of that park. Now, the reason I started following it was because there was some potentially concerning information about this individual that they were naming the park after, and it all sort of went from there. Jeremy Jackson, who I ended up talking to about this story, when I saw him weigh in on this, I knew I needed to talk to him because he's a reputable source. He's someone that we had worked with before at the Brainerd Dispatch, super, you know, diligent in his historical research and picks topics that are very interesting topics. I mean, the book he's working on, we didn't even get a chance to talk about that in this particular interview, but man, 
there's some really interesting Brainerd history that I never knew that he is digging into real, real deep. And hopefully we can have him on again someday to, to fill us in on that. I agree. I think it would be great. It was a great interview, and you'll get to hear it next uh, about solving a Brainerd history mystery, righting the wrongs about Lyman P. White. It's Chelsea talking with Jeremy Jackson. The newest park in Brainerd sits right on the banks of the Mississippi River, providing residents access to enjoy the city's most famous landmark for the first time in decades. The park took shape after the city earned a grant from the state and converted a parking lot into green space with trails, a community amphitheater, an outdoor classroom, and steps down to the river. Its name changed along the way, however, from Mississippi Landing Trailhead Park to Lyman P. White Park, after city officials learned of a long-ago promise to the family of the man who served as one of the city's earliest mayors in the 19th century. That name change proved to be controversial, however, because of allegations about White's leadership when it came to relations with indigenous peoples. Jeremy Jackson, a historical researcher who grew up in Brainerd, joined me earlier this week to help us learn more about the topic. Jackson says he loves to solve mysteries, and determining whether claims about White and the city as a whole were true fell right into his wheelhouse. I'm Chelsea Perkins, News Director of KAXE. Here's my recent conversation with Jeremy Jackson. So tell me about Lyman P. White. Who is he and what did he mean for the city of Brainerd? So Lyman P. White moved to Brainerd in 1870. So he was one of the very, very first residents, permanent residents of town. There's many transient residents, you know, as the railroad was building from the junction now known as Carleton, Minnesota, just west of Duluth to the Dakotas. And he actually, Lyman P. White had the first frame structure built in the city of Brainerd. He lived in that house his, the rest of his life. He was involved with many of the early foundations of, of many key aspects of Brainerd. For example, he was on the first city council. He was on the first school board. Uh, he was the president of the Crow Wing County uh, Agricultural Committee. So there's many different aspects that he, and leadership roles that he took on in the community. Because of that, he earned the nickname the Father of Brainerd. But let's talk about how he ended up being the namesake of Brainerd's newest park, which is right on the Mississippi River, was just dedicated over the weekend in a ceremony. Um, how did this become named after him? Well, ironically, exactly 100 years ago, his son, after Lyman had passed, donated the land to the city of Brainerd specifically for uh, a park. And the caveat the family asked in return is that the, the park be named for, you know, Lyman P. White Park in honor of his father. And so for a while, that was a tourist camp as well. So there was cabins there and, and uh, so it's like a campground. But over the years, it eventually became a parking lot below where the high rise building is today, uh, across from Don Adamson Field. And then when the park was you know, given new life recently with all the new developments. The city opted to continue the name 
There was some controversy, however, when this name was selected for the park. Can you explain where that arose from and what what the actual substance of the controversy was? So the committee that was doing all the enhancements and got the funding for the park had their own name selected. And I I wasn't involved with the naming, but the issue became uh, someone had Googled the name Lyman P. White and they'd found on his find a grave and find a grave is a, is a online resource. It's basically like everyone has a virtual grave and you could put everything on there from obituaries to information to photographs. And in there was a quote from an 1881 publication called the history of the upper Mississippi river Valley. And the quote from the book verbatim is during the time he was mayor, referring to Lyman P. White or Brainerd. He had an ordinance passed that all Indians found within the city limits after dark should be locked up within a building prepared for that purpose. And the people were freed from the night prowlings and hideous whoops that would have otherwise disturbed their slumbers. So the committee saw that and felt, well, we probably should rename the park something else. And so that was kind of the foundation for this thrush to have a different name selected for that parkland. You um, came into the picture. How? I mean, we have this this claim that's out there. You know, at this point, it's already been introduced as that name by the city council. And I'm starting to see, you know, personally, I'm seeing things on Facebook about this. I see also an article that the Brainerd Dispatch had maybe a year and a half ago that referenced that particular piece about White's past. So to me and to probably a lot of people, this appears as factual information. And that's that's the challenge of, you know, written history. It's taken as fact. But the issue with the book is there's no citations of where that that source material came from. And so my interest in Brainerd history is really the early part of Brainerd history. And I've done a lot of work, for example, on the history of the Blueberry War Brainerd, which will be a forthcoming manuscript and documentary. But I've never seen anything about a city ordinance regarding anything like this in my research. And I've, I spent a lot of time in the early Brainerd Tribunes, which started publications in early 1872 in February of that year. And I read, you know, many of the editions through the 1890s, for example. I've never seen this. And the city ordinances were all published in the Brainerd Tribunes. And so I was curious if this was factual or not. Right away, I independently started working on this, but then I quickly called uh, Mayor Bedeau and told him I wanted to do this. And together we agreed we were going to uncover this regardless of the outcome. We were going to determine was this fact or was this uh, a fable or something that was, we wanted to know, was it real or not? The real underlying issue here is if you really ponder it, you're talking about potential of a city of Brainerd passing an ordinance where someone's arrested for the, their ancestry or the color of their skin. And for people that are proud of their hometown or grew up in Brainerd, that's a pretty big deal. And I think everyone wants to be proud of their hometown. And that would be pretty controversial if true. And so for me, I wanted to find out, was that particular statement true or not? And Lyman P. White just happened to be a part of that statement. And so that was the angle I took. And so for about three weeks in April at my spare time, evenings, weekends, I would log into the city of Brainerd website and they have all the early newspapers by PDF, by year and month, and you can read them. They're all there. And all the ordinances are in the paper, but I never did find this. And so I asked 
Mayor Bedeau if he could find, you know, within the, the records at, at City Hall, the early city council meeting minutes, and they weren't there. And I just happened to do a Google search and found they were at the Minnesota Historical Society in St. Paul. And so I volunteered to go down. I spent two different times, about 45 minutes each, just photocopying with my phone, scanning them every single page. And some were pretty faint, but they were all legible. And the ones that were faint, we put into Photoshop and we ended up with about 300 pages of documentation from inception of the city council in January of 1873, all the way to 1882, which was a year after the publication to make sure we captured every single meeting. So we didn't miss anything. So in reviewing those minutes, I mean, what were you able to find? Did you find any evidence of an ordinance like this being passed in Brainerd? It wasn't just me reviewing the documents. I put them into a shared Google Drive folder and I shared those with Mayor Bedeau and also with Carl Faust, uh, Fert Faust, who is a Brainerd historian. And I asked both of them to do the same so that we had at least three of us looking at this. I personally reviewed those pages myself three times. Uh, there was a couple of pages that were real faint. Carl took those, put them in Photoshop to make sure we could read them uh, completely. And there was no mention of the word Indian or Chippewa or Ojibwe or any relation to American Indians within those meeting minutes anywhere. And very early on, they established what the rules were for passing city ordinances. And they had to, someone would propose it, and then it would get approved to go to the city attorney. The city attorney would then take and turn it into a legal, put legal terms into the ordinance. I'm sure it had to comply with state law and probably federal law. I'm not sure of that. But these are very, very professional. That's Jeremy Jackson, a historical researcher. And I'm Chelsea Perkins. KAXE News Director. As part of your research, I mean, were you able to figure out like what maybe was the reason why this was included in this book or perhaps like a, something, you know, that would have errantly led to this inclusion? Any reason why? Or was that is that still a mystery? So yeah, I can give you some conjecture, but I want to be very careful with that. City ordinances had to be published in the Brainerd Tribune and they had to be posted somewhere in town. So there might have been a bulletin board that had a fake ordinance. I'm not saying there was. I found no documentation of that. That's completely my own potential thought on this. Was it possible that they confused the mayor of Brainerd with the mayor of another town along the Mississippi River? The book was published in 1881. There, there is, there's a lot of controversy and challenges with um, the cultural relations at the time. And so something like this could have occurred in another town and they just supplied that mayor from another town to Brainerd's. And I'm working on that as well and looking at other options there as a potential or a possibility. Honestly, I don't know. And I'm, I'm hoping to uncover that so we can say, okay, this is what occurred, but we may never know the answer to that. You've done so much research on the history of the area. I'm wondering what you know about if things weren't like officially ordinances, but maybe were practice, were there things that were happening that maybe had tacit approval of government without necessarily having official ordinance approval? Well, at the time, there was a federal law and that lasted well into the 20th century that it was illegal to sell alcohol to American Indians. And it was, it was illegal. I mean, and, and there's no sugarcoating it. It's part of our history. And so there is numerous accounts of saloon owners in early Brainerd getting arrested for selling alcohol 
to Ojibwe people that came to town. It's a very complicated time. You're dealing with some very rough individuals. And Brainerd was like hell on wheels. And hell on wheels was like the Union Pacific as it built to the West. You had a crowd of rough people that worked on the railroad because they probably couldn't work anywhere else. They were tough. They were probably largely uneducated. And they liked to get drunk, fight, gamble. There was a red light district in Brainerd. Lyman P. Wade helped shut that down, for example. I mean, so he was really in the forefront of trying to make Brainerd a civilized town and get rid of all this abundance of occurrences that would make it a difficult place to raise a family or to settle down. There was regular uh, visits to Brainerd from Ojibwe peoples, from Leech Lake, from Gull Lake, from White Earth, and they come to town and, and trade goods such as blueberries. Uh, and there's a trading post near where the Dairy Queen is today, near the river, and that lasted well into the 20th century. And so it, it was very, very common to see American Indians in town throughout the late part of the 19th century. Now that you have solved this mystery, it appears, and, and have been unable to corroborate this information about Mr. White, is that information still on Find a Grave, or how did you proceed there? One of the community rules as being an administrator for Find a Grave, and I'm also an administrator for Find a Grave, uh, is you can't have anything false on a Find a Grave memorial. And so since this was uncovered, the, the quotes from the book have been removed. Now, the Brainerd Dispatch also excuse me, quoted the uh, same passage when he died in his obituary, and that was also removed from the find a grave. What are you hoping that this accomplishes as we look ahead to Brainerd's newest park bearing Lyman P. White's name and the fact that, you know, this was honoring an agreement the city made a century ago? Well, first and foremost, those that live in Brainerd, those that grew up in Brainerd, their hometown, they can rejoice that there was never an ordinance like this that targeted individuals because of their their ancestry. That's first and foremost. Two, hopefully this allows us to die down. The, the city of Brainerd was obligated to continue the name for the family. If they weren't going to do that, then honestly, they were probably obligated to give the land back to descendants of Lyman P. White. All right, Jeremy, is there anything else that you think is important to mention on this topic that we haven't talked about yet? You asked earlier what was included in the meeting minutes as well. Every cost that ever incurred by the city of Brainerd was included in there and it had to be approved. Uh, there was other resolutions that were approved and, and brought up in the meetings. Again, not any resolution, which is outside of an ordinance, included anything to do with the arrest of American Indians, Ojibwe or Chippewa peoples that visited town. Can you imagine how newsworthy it would be even today if this was in? Um, the meeting minutes from 1872 or whatever year it might have been, or 73 to 1881. It definitely would have been a very uh, hot topic for a lot of individuals. It would have been front page. And I think that's what's really being missed here. Everyone's concerned about the naming of the park. You're dealing with something very, very controversial, you know, calling for the arrest of any individual based on their ancestry. And I'm, I'm thankful myself that that didn't appear anywhere in the meeting minutes. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Jeremy. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Between You and Me podcast on KAXE, made possible by the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and the Citizens of Minnesota, with music by Sam Milton.